Welcome to Kogel Wine and Film, a perfect pairing. I'm film critic Gary Kogel, and today a different kind of space movie. It's called First Man, starring Ryan Gosling as the legendary astronaut Neil Armstrong. An intense, personal, I think Oscar-level film about being the first man to set foot on the moon. Plus the life and times of chef-turned-traveler Anthony Bourdain. His award-winning work on television had a very profound impact on both of us, and we'll explore why. I'm wine expert Haley Hamilton Cogill. Though Neil Armstrong's family home was in Ohio, he did call Texas home during the years preparing for Apollo 11. And with it being Texas Wine Month, we'll toast this first man with the first man to plant one of the most successful varieties in Texas, Doc McPherson, an earthy, dusty, and nice and berry-filled Sangiovese. Wow, earthy and dusty. Yes. I'm all in. I love a good Sangiovese. Okay, can we talk about this movie? We both we saw this together. We have two good films back to back. Back to back, yeah. I mean, The Star in is October. Born in October. Star is Born knocked us out. I think this is on the same level. It's a completely different experience. Absolutely. But but so admirable. And it's one of those movies that the more I think about, the better it gets. Mm-hmm. The knock on the film is that it's slow and introspective. Mm-hmm. And I don't agree with that and at all. And yeah. Because, the, you, know, it, you, you know, Damon Chazelle's the director. He's an Oscar-winning director. He won the Oscar for directing La La Land. Mm-hmm. And then they had that big debacle on the yes. best picture after that. But he also directed, directed Whiplash. I would never know that First Man's directed by this guy. Absolutely not. Yeah. yeah. It's because both of those are so big and this yeah. is so... Quiet. Yeah, and and also the uh, Justin, I think Justin Hurwitz is that was his music composer right. who won and the, the music Oscar in this for is Lala. Fantastic, and the, the music is just yeah. it's Oscar level, mm-hmm. and it's and it fits the mood of what's mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. But what I like about oh, and also Steven Spielberg was one of the co-producers on Executive this film. Producer, it's surprising yeah. to see his name mm-hmm. on it, but it, it covers 1961 to 1969 and all that time leading up to Apollo 11, where the first men walked on the moon. That was Neil Armstrong. And Buzz Aldrin, but it goes into his life before that, and it opens with a scene of him fly, f- going up into space and in into uh, not orbit, but you know, breaking the barrier mm-hmm. and going up above the Earth for the first time. Yeah, and you sure. swear he's in a tin can, mm-hmm. and he pretty much is. Mm-hmm. He's in a can with a whole bunch of firepower under it that blows him up there and breaks that barrier, and then falls back in. And you swear every nut and bolt in that thing's going to rattle yeah. out. Yeah, the the original uh, spacecrafts were not the most well uh, put together <laughs> contraptions. Well, they probably they, were. For, they, yeah. Well, I mean, it looked like there was like a lot of duct tape and tinfoil. <laughs> yes, and they're figuring it out as they go. Yeah, and they, still, there's a life inside. There's a life inside there, and they, you know, they lost a lot of yeah. people. I mean, even yeah. in those early test flights before they got into. The Apollo stuff, a lot of those guys that were going up in rockets for the first time and breaking the sound barrier and doing all that, their death rate was like in the 30%. Well, and I think that that's actually addressed really beautifully in in this film because it's obvious that, you know, the subtlety and the the introspectiveness that Neil Armstrong had, a lot of that was because he kept losing a lot of his friends. Yeah. And, and He lost a family member. Yeah, it's like he just, it, it, it was... The intensity of that, you have to kind of understand why, how his character, you know, why he was such a kind of introverted person mm-hmm. in having to deal with all of that. I, I, I don't profess to know a lot about Neil Armstrong. I know a, a lot about Neil in the event. Right. But I've, I've never, and this is based on, you know, a, a, a book. Uh, you know, I wanted to detail about his life. His wife is a very important part of this mm-hmm. and played by Claire Foy. So Ryan Gosling's Canadian, Claire Foy is British. 
And they're making this just really patriotic American film. And I'm going to say patriotic because it's a real patriotic mm-hmm. film. But but she's fascinating because mm-hmm. she's she's the emotional glue to the whole thing because he is pretty much an aloof human being. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's more comfortable when he's at work with his buddies, but he's not a lighthearted guy mm-hmm. and he's not a jokester. And there might be one jokester or two in the bunch, but most of those guys are pretty... No nonsense. It makes you think about what it takes to do that, to do job, that job back then. And and also, they had to be in the limelight a lot. They had to do press conferences and interviews. And every once in a while, they'd joke. I, I remember watching those as a little kid. If one of them told kind of a slight joke, we all just fell on the ground. Because mm-hmm. we were enamored with... I was enamored with every word an astronaut of course. said that, Beckett, and, and actually dreamed if I wasn't going to be a professional baseball player or a film critic, that I would be an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> I think you chose the right career path. I, I turned to you two minutes into this movie and said, that's something I could never do. Yeah. Like going up in one of the... Going up, I'd love to go, yeah. just as long as it's it's kind of quiet and they serve cocktails. <laughs> I'll have a Bloody Mary, please. <laughs> but doing that space exploration, I... I it, and you, you get a real sense of that. I, I, I find that fascinating. And she's a really interesting character. I think she's an Oscar-level performance here because somebody's got to – how do I say this? Somebody's got to just shout and holler and say something and tell the truth and kind of be in his face because he would duck out the door mm-hmm. and kind of ignore – you know, there's that scene where he has to – she walks in and cries and looks at him and says, you need to sit your kids down. He has two sons. And tell them that you might not come back mm-hmm. on this. That it, they might lose their dad. Because I'm not going to be the one to do it. I'm not going to be the one to do because it because you chose been, to do right. this. And she and and but you know the support. You know, obviously there is a great deal of support from from all of the wives in this film, right. married to their astronaut husbands. Um, but at some point, you you know, there's just. There's just, yeah. there's, this is all you can do. This yeah, is, you yeah. know. And, and he's, you know, he's raising kids that are kind of aloof too. Mm-hmm. You know, like father, like son. Mm-hmm. Plus it's the time, you know, the time. It was know, the time you said, I mean, that. that I mean, there was a whole bunch of racial tension going yeah, well, on. It was parents, segregated culture. And and you had, still. you had parent, you had fathers that went off to work. You had mothers that stayed home. You had fathers that, that maybe hadn't been raised by fathers that told them they loved them. And so yeah. that's another thing that just is passed down generation to generation. I think it's really been the last, you know, 30 years that, that parents openly tell their children how wonderful they are and how much they love them all the time. Right. I don't think that that was a thing that, that, that was, was not. even done. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. But, but wow, what a film. Mm-hmm. And so that whole sequence where, because um, I'm not giving anything away, mm-hmm. he walked on he the walked moon. He walked on the moon, we know. We know how it's going <laughs> to yeah. end. And he's going to get back okay. Yeah. But it's not always an easy journey. Yeah. And, uh, and oh, oh, God, I'm claustrophobic, mm-hmm. just so claustrophobic. But that sequence on the moon. So what they did is they shot it in 35 millimeter when they got to the moon and went to IMAX. Mm -hmm. And it's just so panoramic and interesting. You want to look at every texture of every little, you know, of every, you know, when he puts his foot down and you see the kind of the dust print Mm -hmm. on the moon, that famous dust print of his boot. And then here's this, and I'm just going to address this once because this is such a ludicrous, ridiculous controversy because there's no controversy and then marco rubio brought it to you know from from florida brought it up he was really mad because they're not going to show them planting the flag on the the moon and all that stuff and how unpatriotic and they have to show that because america did it and there was all this weird controversy out there 
that all of the flag was cut out of this movie, and none of that is true. They don't plant the flag. It's there, and you see it twice during that sequence. You don't have to plant it to show it. You don't have to plant it. And, it's a, and there's a flag on the space, on the Apollo. Yeah. There's a flag. There are flags throughout. There's flags throughout. It's well, so patriotic. Again, we but know the, the ending. We know what he did. We know you what he did. You don't need to. <laughs> but I'm also saying that there are two shots within that With sequence that, of, the, of, the, of flag them looking the at the flag that they just planted. Yeah. How else did it get there? So get <laughs> over it and it's grow ridiculous. up. Good Lord. It's, it's just, just people nonsense. that are trying to make, make an issue out yeah. of nothing, and it's just really, really I, I think this is a best – I think we have two Best Picture nominees, and it's early in the year, and they can take up it's the exciting. 10. Yeah. So, but I, I, think it's, I think we're going to prove out – because we're pretty good at this. That, that by the end – these are really high-level films. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine A Star is Born or First it's Man being ignored. You know, so why – because we do expect these films – usually to come a little bit later in the year. Yeah. October, I mean, early October is, is kind of interesting. Is that just the, do you have any thoughts on that? Is that just the way you think Hollywood's going? Is it because nothing else is opening right now? So let's let's actually make some money on a film? Or? I think the tradition of backloading everything in November and December started changing about two years ago. Yeah. And I think they started doing it earlier. I think we started getting better films in the summer mm-hmm. every once in a while. Like Dunkirk came out in the summer. Well, and I, I mean, this was what, how long ago? was Hurt Locker because that came out very early in yeah. the year and that was a very very big surprise. That was probably March. Yeah. March yeah. or April. You know the last film you know the early I think the last film to win the Oscar that came out in February was Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. So they they backload them you know for business reasons but there's more you know, I, I think we're getting more and more better films earlier in different parts of the year mm-hmm. you know which is usually a frivolous summer it's going to be yeah a frivolous summer and then man there's three or four really good there's films really in there. So kind of thing, Next and down. the fall looks earlier now, mm-hmm. you know, with, mm-hmm. with high level films, you know. And I say that, and we are still almost at the end of October, but it's yeah. exciting. I mean, to see a Star Wars born, especially because yeah. that was pretty much the beginning. Have you of been? October. Have you been to NASA? Have you been through? Have you walked through with that? Um, I haven't in in Houston, but I did. My favorite Smithsonian is the Air and Space Museum. Yes, isn't it awesome? DC, and it's just fascinating to see those capsules. Yeah, it's yes. just, and that's again, it's like tinfoil yeah. and duct tape. It's it's to see that people went up and in, in into the air in these little contraptions. It's fascinating, and to see all it's, the burn marks on the, the outside of yeah, it, and a I, tile falling. It's off. one of the best. If if you if you're going to DC and having yeah. a museum experience, it's like a must have. Well, must I, I went down. I went down to NASA to interview uh, everybody in the Ron Howard film. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was, it was Bill Paxton. And, right stuff. Yeah. yeah. No. The, no. The right oh. stuff was before that. Um, the one that Ron Howard. You know. That's oh, the, Apollo thirteen. Apollo thirteen. With yeah. Tom with Tom Hanks. Hanks yes. Yeah. And, and uh, Kevin Bacon and mm-hmm. Bill Paxton, mm-hmm. the great late Bill Paxton. Yeah. And having all those interviews with everybody, including Howard and some NASA people down there, was walking around that stuff because it it, it looks like government buildings. Yeah. There's something flashy about them, and then you get in some of the exhibits, and they're very very cool. But it's it's so Texan. Yeah, it's just so Texan. Yeah, yeah. It's very cool. So we thought um, it is Texas Wine Month. Happy oh. October. Yeah. Um, so kind of thought it would be fun to to toast the first man with the first man. Um, Dr. Clinton McPherson was kind of uh, uh, is considered to be a pioneer of of Texas wine. He uh, was a military man, um, then uh, moved to West Texas, was a professor at Tech in Lubbock. That's way West Texas. Um, and and had a ranch. And this was like former kind of cotton land, cotton farming land, cattle land. 
um, and started planting grapes on and on his uh, Sagamore vineyard was the first to plant Sangiovese and Sangiovese we know is the grape of Chianti it's it's an Italian variety um, there were certainly grapes were planted already in Texas but this I think that that Doc McPherson kind of was the first to say, okay, let's go away from some of the the most traditional kind of international varieties. Let's 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 study our soils. Let's study our climate. Let's study the the amount of rainfall we get. Let's look at the the terroir of of the Texas High Plains, which is this region, and see what can actually do really well. And it's these these hardy intense you know intense red grapes that that can manage through dry conditions and very hot conditions with very cold nights because that's the other thing everything you know you think that okay it's going to be these scorching hot temperatures during the day but also at night it gets really cool i mean think about how much snow also follows in the winter time out in like amarillo and lubbock and that whole west texas area dust storms and all kinds of stuff and um and so kind of was a was a, a true pioneer. He was one of the founders of Llano Estacado and um, kind of carried on the the tradition of of developing different varieties throughout um, throughout that whole West Texas area. Um, continued to teach, was a very big kind of teacher in, in, of, of viticulture and soil and that sort of thing. Um, but then kind of, and as we talked about Neil Armstrong's kids and, and the nice thing I think about the, the legacy of what's been passed on today is that his son, Kim McPherson, uh, started McPherson Cellars out in West Texas, also kind of in honor of his of his father, he he has another son that is actually a winemaker in Temecula in California. Hmm. So he basically raised two winemaking sons, and and the cool thing, especially for what Kim is doing, is kind of taking his father's legacy and and then it, continuing to grow it as he is he makes a number of different wines from grapes that maybe aren't the traditional, like yeah. Pickpool and Albarino and Grenache Blanc and Tempranillo and Carignan and Cinto and like all of these kind of varieties that we know can manage and, and do really well in that type of terrain and terroir. But again, aren't just the the varieties that you know every day. Like it's not a lot of Cabernet or right. So. And appropriately so. Exactly. So the two wine-growing regions in the great state of Texas, which is very large, it's 12 hours to 12 hours, 12 hours to drive across yeah. the state, um, is the High Plains area there, in West Texas and in Hill Country? It's, that's two of them. There are actually, and I forgive my well, They're Texas the most knowledge. prominent? They're the most prominent. Right. But they also, you know, there's also a whole region down near Houston. There's yeah. the whole region in North Texas. There um, but I'd say for the leading wineries of Texas, the majority of the fruit is coming from either High Plains, Texas High Plains, or Texas Hill Country. Or Hill Country, which is yeah. down just down. outside of Austin. Yeah. Yeah. And we've had some good wines. We've had, and, and, yeah. and it's I a, I it like really it. is. And I think if, if anything, it's a very exciting time for Texas because as these vineyards develop and as um, experimentation continues and, and more and more varieties are being planted and we're seeing what can actually do really well within uh, those soils, we continue to find really great, really, really, really good wines. I like the connection. The first man to walk on the moon and one of the starters and the founders of 
Texas well, but wine. he was the—he wasn't the, and, and was I don't want to exactly. Yeah. He is a pioneer. He wasn't because you know grapes have been grown in Texas since the you know 1800s. Right. So, but right. he was the first man to plant Sangiovese in in the state, and and I will say that was kind of a a a turning point for us figuring out what for Texans figuring out what was actually going to do yeah. really well in that. That's a big question. Sweat. Cotton wine, cotton wine. So I like it, wine. I like wine. I like that idea. <laughs> when we come back on Cogill Wine and Film, a perfect pairing, a look back at the amazing career of the late Anthony Bourdain, who began as a chef and an author, evolving eventually into one of television's best storytellers. And we will be right back. We love sharing our wine discoveries with you, our listeners, and one of them is called Wine Access. Yes, Gary and I love a great glass, and we found that often the best wines come from winemakers with passion, making wine in small lots from premium fruit. But often these wines are difficult to find due to limited production and availability. And that's why we want you to know about Wine Access. Like their wine packs. They have these sets of wines on their website that... It's kind of a mystery. You don't really know exactly what wines are going to be included in them. But because of the quality and how each of these wines are hand-selected, you know they're going to be good. They have a white wine pack of six different white wines. Again, you don't know which exactly you're going to get, but they're all under $24 each. And because of the quality and the research that they do and finding these wines, you know they're going to be good. And one of the reasons is Wine Access only selects the very best to offer. Wines that over-deliver in value, tasting as though they cost twice as much. And they share their full story with you, where the wine comes from, the history of the families producing these wines, growing the grapes, the passion that we describe. And we want you to try Wine Access too. So we've arranged an exclusive limited time offer. You're going to get 20% off these great wines that already over deliver on price. And you can order as many bottles as you like. But to take advantage of this offer, you must go now to our special website, wineaccess.com slash Cogill. This offer won't last, so order now to get this fantastic 20% off deal. For full details, go to our special URL. It's wineaccess.com slash Cogill. That's wineaccess.com slash Cogill, C-O-G-I-L-L. Welcome back to Cogill Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. When Anthony Bourdain died earlier this year, it just hit both of us rather hard because we admire his work so much. We're regular viewers of his food-induced travel show. We love it. It's called Parts Unknown. It's on CNN, and it's a generous look at local food and local restaurants, more importantly, local people in cities, large and small, all around the world. There's a, hand, there's a couple of deaths that have really affected me mm-hmm. of celebrities, and mm-hmm. I usually... Even though I interviewed just about everybody on the planet, when Robin Williams died, it yeah, really affected me. When Anthony still. Bourdain mm-hmm. died, it because it kind of goes to the soul of so many things that we love, that we love. about our life mm-hmm. and that we find important in life too, which is wine and food and travel and sharing that with yeah. other people. Because yeah. you know, having people over for dinner is one of our favorite things mm-hmm. in the world to do, and he did that all the time. Well, it's interesting, and I think that this is also just to see how his career did evolve from kind of from, from being a, a wonderfully trained chef to then being a a kind of food reviewer on TV to really truly being a storyteller and yeah. and I think that there is something really significant there because it it moved away though there was always food food was always a part of of every show he did 
it really became more about the actual people. And I'll just like, there was one episode of parts unknown where he came to Hawaii and instead of, of doing kind of typical Hawaii, I think the Hawaii that everybody thinks about instead, he went out and, and just kind of hung out with locals. He didn't go to resort Hawaii at all. Right. He, he went into, he, he went to, to just hang out and tell the story of the people and, and smoke a pig and, you know, and, and, and have a a, a, barbe- a beach barbecue that we get to experience every day. How often do I walk down to Holohulakai and see all the locals down there, right. you know, having a grill out on a Sunday? It's it's by the beach and and just kind of experiencing life in a very normal way. But he made that extraordinary, and I think that that's 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 what his yeah. that's what was so special. He used to come uh, to Dallas a lot and and do lectures mm-hmm. and he would appear at the Majestic Theater mm-hmm. and do two lectures cuz yeah. they would sell out 2500 people. I was always fascinated by that. Like really he's that a was storyteller. Really and yeah and then I, I, actually when I became much more of a fan of now of course I realized why but he was a chef at Las Halas. Mm-hmm. Uh in New, in New York, York. Mm-hmm. which closed I think only a year ago went bankrupt finally mm-hmm. eventually. But um and then he wrote that book, Kitchen Confidential, mm-hmm. and uh, all the tales of what really goes on in the kitchen. I read every, yeah. I read that book so fast. Yeah. I was so fascinated by that of just kind of the dirty, dark side of a kitchen Server's life, yeah, of kitchen a, life of a really yeah. nice kitchen, yeah. of a really nice restaurant. And then, and then to get into his travels, um, um, well, a cook's tour was another one of his books. He did that show called The Layover. Mm-hmm. It only lasted yeah, two or three had, seasons. I want to say it was the Travel Channel carried his, That's was right, his first, yeah. um, I think, uh, kind of put his shows out there initially before he started working with CNN. And honestly, going to CNN was kind of a surprise for me when he did start Parts Unknown because it was like, oh, you're going to go to this this news media? Is right. there a news outlet is going to carry your show? But it seemed, again, because it became so much more of a personal story and a story of the people that that it, it was a really, really smart fit. I think we've seen CNN now become the documentary mm-hmm. channel mm-hmm. in many ways mm-hmm. of high-end just doing really great series, and and you know you know Netflix does them too, but mm-hmm. CNN has really stepped it up. And I think when they hired him, they started winning a lot of awards mm-hmm. too. Uh, his stuff was shot. Uh, no reservations was shot, or, or, or um, parts unknown. All of those, but parts unknown especially is shot so well. That crew that he worked with, mm-hmm. those camera shots, because they're all about the people and not about celebrity. And he might hang out with a band, a local band that you've never heard yeah. of in Austria. Yeah. Who's shredding guitar and doing stuff? Uh, also, I'll, I'll never forget that episode where he worked out in jujitsu. Yeah, yeah, uh, because he was a over fifties jujitsu champion. He won a major tournament in New York City at one point, and and I just remember watching him. I had no idea because yeah. he's like six six. Yeah, you know him out on a mat with us. You know, <laughs> doing jujitsu is is a is a big darn deal. I I loved every time he went to. Uh, Indonesia, or he went to in Vietnam. He went to a lot of war ravage, like around the v- Vietnam, Cambodia, and those areas. And those people's lives are all devastated. And it's been quite a few years, but that memory of him. And he would just sit in a village yeah. and literally squat in a village, eat the local food, and talk to them about what they went through and going through the whole communist regime and living to tell about it. And and the people that are, you know, that are, that connects with him. And then he'd hang out with Eric Repair and. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jose Garces, Daniel Ballou, Daniel Ballou, and they would, 
the one with Michael Ruhlman where they in eat Lyon. in Lyon. Yeah, in, it's in, just, in France, it's, it's long... just oh my god! Like the food is so beautiful because yeah, like the 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 caliber yeah. where well, just that you could go from eating street food to to having you know complete three star Michelin, you know amazing kind of experiences i i I just it's a it's the kind of show that um i would be proud to be a part of and always admired it Mm -hmm. and i and i every every time and the show's got better and better and better he became a better storyteller that's kind of what yeah just the what the legacy that he's left is is that he was a really really great storyteller and i think that that's it's kind of what we all what any writer, what any any yeah. uh, television uh, contributor hopes to be. I think it's interesting that he said he never thought of himself as a journalist, though though I would because he journaled the life of mm-hmm. of everything around him. And and as you know, it kind of made me think. Just in thinking back to my former career and and working with with news anchors and reporters and and you know how do you how do you go from one level to another and that is by by being a really good storyteller and yeah. and there are so few that are when he narrated you know i realized that he wrote all of his own stuff mm-hmm. he not only wrote that and then he narrated it it was just so natural and comfortable i mean he's a he was a real role model of that kind of work um sad that he committed suicide and mm-hmm. i just didn't know how to handle that or what to do with that people have these dark places and they well, and- you know and they you just you, you don't know what to do. I'm just a fan and a viewer, and it just was devastating. And I think that that's, you know, because we did talk about Robin Williams a few weeks ago. We've had um, quite a few of these uh, suicides in, in very recent history. And I guess it's just if, if, you know, if you're somebody that's struggling, go out and find find some help because yeah. because people around you love you. And, and Yeah, there's numbers to call and places to go and people yeah. that will listen, yeah. Uh, I just I miss him. I miss him every time, and we're in the middle of watching those last final. And the episodes. last episodes are on CNN right now, and I think the last one where he's in West Texas is can Sunday. Can't yeah. wait to see where he goes and what he does because yeah. it's probably not the typical. Yeah, he's not going to probably hang out at the Four Seasons. No, not at all. No, but he's going to hang out in some dive, and the food's going to be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's just going to be amazing. Yeah, it's. I miss him, Haley. Miss him a lot. Next time on Kogel Wine and Film, more great films, either in theaters or on demand, along with wines and pairings that we like to say are always worthy of celebration. For more on the films and the wine from today's show, be sure to follow our blog on kogelconsulting.com or through Facebook. Follow Gary on Twitter at Gary Kogel. And to see what we're drinking now, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Dallas Uncorked. And with that, I'm Gary Kogel, and I'm always looking for the next great film. And I'm Haley Hamilton Kogel, always in search of a great glass of wine. Join us next time on Kogel Wine and Film, a perfect pairing. Aloha.